Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. How many of you got something last week? We began our Waymakers series, and we're just going to see where this goes. Next week, we have uh, Peter Cavanna. If some of you know Peter Cavanna, he's going to be coming here, and he's going to be talking on one of the subjects that I've asked him to speak on next week to continue with this series. And so I'm looking forward to what Peter's going to bring next week. I encourage you, Peter, if you don't know who Peter is, Peter used to come here, and he was the pastor before me. Great man of God. He's studying in London at the moment at the London School of Theology, but he's a great man of God. He's going to be here next week. If you want a good time, Come and listen next week. That is for our next session. But if you've been here so far, uh, you'll have been hearing that I've been talking on the subject of waymakers. Many of us know God as a waymaker. We love to sing the song, uh, waymaker, miracle worker. You know, the fact that God, uh, in our circumstances, knows a way out and he can help us. And that's all true. It's true that God can help us. It's true that God makes a way where there seems to be no way. But sometimes in our lives, I think we can get ourselves in a position where we almost rely too much on God and do nothing ourselves in our lives. And we actually wait for him to make a way when actually he's saying, I need you to make some way, make some room in your life for me so that I can work through you. Uh, sometimes there can be a blockage in us that God is saying, until you make a way for me. And we looked at this last week on the subject of, uh, the title was Making Room for More. In other words, God wants us to make room for more of him. We looked at, at John chapter 1 verse 23, the idea that John the Baptist was a way maker. He makes a way for more. He makes a way in the desert For Jesus to come. Amen. And when he comes, he steps aside. He steps down from his ministry as Jesus increases. How many of you want Jesus to increase in your life? Then you can't wait for him to do something. You've got to say, God, I'm going to make room. There's things and adjustments I need to make this year. I need to be a way maker in order for you to make a way in my life. And so I want to encourage you that it's not always God's job to do everything. We're called as Christians to live the Christian life is not sit back, relax and wait, but it's actually to believe God to do things. The Bible is full of waymakers and, and, and last week we particularly focused on just at the beginning as I laid the foundation for, for the series, we looked at John the Baptist, but the Bible's full of waymakers, amen? It's full of people all the way through who pave the way for Jesus to come. You know, you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, you'll realize that men and women of God were used all the way through to pave the way for the Messiah to come. How many of you know that you are part of that plan today? You are part of the paving of the way for what God is going to do. And how many of you know Jesus is returning again soon? So we're part of that plan towards the return of Jesus. Before we come to Hebrews chapter 12, I just want to remind you of Hebrews chapter 11. Because I'm not going to read it because it's it's something you want to go away and read yourself. But it's sometimes referred to as not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. So it describes and lists many waymakers. But if you read it, you'll find that some of them, it says, were cut in half. Some of them had to go through terrible things 
as a way maker. If you want to make ways for God, you're going to find sometimes the enemy is a, you're a hot target for the enemy. So if you want to be the way maker, then you're going to have to get ready for the things and challenges in your life. And Hebrews chapter 11 lists many people who gave their life. It says it talks about them operating by faith. And so what we see here is this whole list. And in verse 39, it should come up on the screen. It says in verse 11, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Wow. Since God, listen to this, verse 40. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Wow. What does that tell you? Before we even read Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11, the list of this hall of faith, these great characters that it mentions through the Bible, it gets to this verse in verse 40, and it talks about you and me. In other words, we are included in this. In fact, it says this. It says that it plans something better for us so that only together with us, they, the ones in Hebrews 11, this list of people would be made perfect. How many of you know what you've seen when you gave your life to Jesus? And if you haven't today, I encourage you, give your life to Jesus. But when you gave your life to Jesus, what you saw in your life was the fulfillment of something that all those people listed who were waymakers never saw and would love to see. Wow. So the next time you come to church and you think, my life's not too good at the moment, I'm not too happy with this, I want to encourage you today, read Hebrews chapter 11, see what those waymakers went through, see the things that they did in their life for you today to receive the grace of God. Wow. I'm so excited today that I fall into that verse 40 because there's hope for me. There is a plan and a purpose for me. And I want to tell you today, we looked last week at that whole idea in Matthew chapter 21, that Jesus uses people. He uses donkeys. Come on. He uses donkeys to do things. And I said it last week, if he used a donkey to ride into Jerusalem and it had a purpose to fulfill Zechariah 9 uh, verse 9, if it had a purpose, then if he had a destiny, that little donkey, then you do. You have a part to play in this plan that God has for every believer. So how do we respond to Hebrews chapter 11 when it lists this whole of waymakers and then it tells us that we're part of this and actually together with them it makes it perfect because it's the fulfillment of what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read it, we're there. Verse 1, therefore, in other words, therefore, because of Hebrews chapter 11, what you've just read, which I hope you're going to read later on, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Verse 12, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Verse 14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Amen. The title of the message this week is this. You can make it. You can make it. Do you know what? All of the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 and every single person in the Bible, but particularly those, and let's call them waymakers. That's my new term for for those people. These people who made a way, they gave their life up. They they, they were martyrs for the gospel, some of them. Martyrs for for what God was going to do. All of these people had one thing in common. Do you know what that is? Sin. Every one of them had a struggle with problems. Every one of them had a struggle with hardship. Every one of these people who were amazing people, who did amazing great things for God, all had issues. Who's got issues this morning? Come on. Join the club. They all struggled. And some of us sometimes can think to be a Christian and to read these things in the Bible of what Moses did, what Joshua did, what all these great men of God and women of God did. We say to ourselves, I'm just not good enough because I'm struggling too much. And I can't make this, I can't do this thing. But I want to encourage you today that God has not called you to be perfect. He's not called you to be perfect. God is looking for yielded vessels, not perfect ones. He's looking for people like you and me who say, I understand that I've got issues. I understand I've got problems. I understand sometimes I just feel like a donkey. I understand that God wants to do something in me, even though I feel like a failure. Now, one of those people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 is Rahab the prostitute. I mean, what a name. Rahab, not just Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. Imagine if someone named you. 
for the thing you are, what you tell yourself you are, the sin that so entangles you every day, the thing that grips you. Just think for a moment right now, if your nickname was given to you and that name was the very thing you hated about yourself. Wow. Imagine now if, if we said, if people knew what you did behind closed doors, the things that, that you don't want anyone to know about. You don't want anyone to see. Because when you get here, you put this front on and you said, this is me, this is the holy me. But listen, every one of us have got something hidden away. Come on, church. It's true. Don't try to be holy on me. Everyone, including me, we've got things that sometimes, we've got to bring these things to the Lord. Because the enemy will use secret things. Stop trying to present yourself as something better or something that you're not. Because the truth is, we all are broken vessels. And so we've got to realize that some of us right now, if you were to have, have, have been named that person of the very thing you hated. And so we get here, listed in the hall of faith, Rahab the prostitute. Wow. I wouldn't want to be called the things that I feel that I struggle with. And today, some of you right now, what you do is you look at that name of what you struggle with and it hinders you from moving forward. It hinders you. And you're saying, God, I'm waiting for a day that you're going to be a miracle worker in my life. You're going to get rid of this thing. That you're going to stop this thing from happening. Some of you right now, some of you men, struggling, maybe with pornography, all these things that you're waiting, God, just break this thing in my life. Even women in this room, break this thing in my life. But God is saying it's time for you to stop doing it. It's time for you to make the move and stop doing these things to allow God to work through you. Break the cycle. Come on. It's time to break The cycle on these things. Because the enemy gets you in a vicious cycle. Hebrews chapter 11 is not the one, the chapter before, it's not a trophy of celebration. I'll tell you what it is. It's a baton of release of continuation. It's not a trophy that says it ends there and then it's not for you. Listen to me today. God wants to continue using people, broken vessels, just like you and me, who have got names that you could name yourself all day of all the things that you are. But he says right now, here today, my spirit comes to you to tell you, to remind you that no matter what name you've given yourself, no matter what you've put Next to your name as a title, Hebrews 11 tells us today in Hebrews chapter 12 that we have a job to do. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Why? To take the baton to move on. Do you know what? Hebrews 11, it tells us what they were, who they were, that we're included. Then I'll tell you what Hebrews chapter 12 is. It's the instruction manual of how to do it. That's what it is. Hebrews 11 tells you who they are, what they did. Hebrews 12 tells you how to do it. It's the instruction manual. How many of you want an instruction manual that tells you the problems in life, the things you're going to face? How many of you want an honest view? It's a debrief of their life. In other words, Hebrews chapter 12 says, 
If you want to be, if you're surrounded by these cloud of witnesses, if you want to make a change and you want to do something, these are the things you're going to face. So we've got to look at what that says for our lives. Number one is this. We have to make our move. Make our move. It's time for you to make your move for God. He says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you realize you've got a race marked out for you? God is not running the race for you. He's marked it out for you. So you've got to run it. I told you last week that I joined a gym and it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. So I go in the gym and, and, and they, they tell me, and I said this last week, they, they want to give a, a, a program so they can tell you what you need to achieve. You tell them what your problem is. I've got a lot of issues. I was there a while. Here's the issues. And then they can, they can tell you what to do. They can, they can mark out the race for you. I, I've not really got into this yet. I thought I'd just ease myself in. So I've just been easing myself in and observing others. It's interesting, observing. I could spend all day there observing people. Observing, how do they do that? I mean, some of the machines, I've got no idea how to use them. I just make it up as I go along. You know, when you don't know how to use something, you just act confident. That's all you do. The worst thing is if you sat the wrong way on it. I'm learning. I'll be a pro in six months. And so... I went in the other day and I was, I was on the rowing machine and I was rowing away and I was tired and I felt like giving up. I was enduring hardship. I was, I was focused and then I got someone next to me and then all of a sudden a couple came in and, and, and there were a few rowing machines up from me and they, they, had a, they weren't just a couple, they had another person with them and they had a personal trainer. And, and I thought, how have you got that person? And this person stood next to them, and while they were both on the rowing machine, every time that they felt like quitting, the person said, come on. And I, and I, was, I thought, well, I haven't paid for that person, so I'm just going to listen as well. It's cheap. Wherever they go, I'll just follow them. And I'll just use that voice to keep me going. And at one point, they, I was on, this, another, on a weights bench thing, and the, the, they were there, and, and, and this person, this lady, was picking up some weights, and she looked like she was struggling. You know, she looked like she was struggling with these weights. And as she picked them up, and she's doing these, these few exercises, the, the person said, this personal trainer, and he's got all this gear on, he looks like he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a cloud, he's a, a witness, he's been there. He's done it. He's spent years doing this. She's struggling. And do you know what he said? I couldn't believe it. I thought, I don't know if I want to come to this gym anymore. He said to her, he said, I know it feels like you're coughing everything up. And you feel like you're going to be sick. But just keep going. I know what it feels like. I've been doing this two years. I'm like, what? Is this really what we need to be doing? Feeling sick? And I realized something. That they had someone spurring them on. Someone who'd been there before. Someone who'd got through the pain. Someone who'd got through that stage that could now talk with confidence 
and tell them the procedure to get to where they are. And so what happens is they kept looking at that person who looks fit, who looks healthy, who looks like, that's what I want to be. I want to achieve this. But you've got to realize there's pain involved. You've got to realize there's a process involved. You see, the, one of the biggest problems I've found in going to the gym is I count every single calorie now. I mean, I go on the running machine, 15 minutes, and I look and I brought it in today because this has been staring at me all week. Look, I've been doing really well. I've not been eating much chocolate at all. I used to have one of these, Joe, Joe uh, who puts the sandwich bags and the people who put the sandwich bags downstairs together. Then Joe said to me this week, do you want a Mars bar in your sandwich bag? I said, no. <laughs> I don't want a Mars bar because I'm, I'm being good. Because I realized something that it says here, Mars in a beautiful typography and lovely logo tells me that it looks so exciting and a Mars a day helps you work, rest and play apparently. It doesn't, it just makes you work harder. And it says here, really in small print at the side, 228 calories. And I realize how long it takes to run on a machine for that. The problem is, the problem on this is in small print. So I'm tempted by this. Let me tell you, sin in your life is tempting. It looks good. It looks good. The small print is the problem. The thing you don't see. And you have to work hard. And let me tell you, you understand the cost of sin that Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for you and me so that we could be free. That his blood washes us, cleanses us, and we realize the cost of his blood shed. And and every time I see this now, I realize I could love this, but I know I could eat that in, and I'm telling you, seconds. Seconds. But I know how long it takes. There is a cost to sin, and it cost Jesus his life. It cost him his life. And we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by personal trainers. We're surrounded by people who are saying to you and me today, come on, you can do this. I know it's painful. I know it's hard. But you will get used to it. You'll get in the flow. You will build your spiritual muscles. You'll get to a point where you will be flowing and running and the devil won't get you. Come on. It's the early stages that are the problem. The early stages. It's now when you feel like running away. But let me tell you, it's time to keep going. Because the more and more I kept going, the more and more I kept resisting, the more and more I didn't want this. And let me tell you today, some of you in this new year, and I'm not trying to teach you to be healthy, because I've got a lot to learn. But I've learned something. I've learned something that actually, some things that take very quick to eat in my life can cause big problems. The stuff in your life, the sin that so easily entangles you. What he says is this, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Do you know what? Some of us are not surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by a great cloud of weaknesses. 
You, surround, you say to yourself, a cloud of witnesses? I've got too much of a cloud over me of weaknesses. I can't move anywhere. I've got too much sin going on in my life. I can't shift and move anywhere. I am so frozen with this. And you can't move on. And look, it's not, this is what I'm trying to preach to you today. It's not God's job to make a way out of your sin. It's you. You. You cannot ask God to get you out of these places. We have to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Where in the scripture does it say that God's going to do it for you? He set you free. He puts his spirit on the inside of you. And if you have his spirit on the inside of you, you don't want to sin. Well, if you do sin, you're like Paul who did the things he didn't want to do. These things he kept doing. But he didn't make a practice of it. There's a difference. There's a difference. We've got to see the opportunity and make our move for God. And say it's time to make a move, shift some of these things in our life. Because it's time to, to seek the kingdom of God. Not the comfort of our lives. Not the things we want for the flesh. You know Rahab in, in Joshua chapter 2. And we mentioned her earlier. She's listed in this hall of faith. In Joshua chapter 2, she, we see it, she sees this opportunity to help the spies. And these two spies were going to come in. And we know in Joshua chapter 6 that the walls of Jericho are going to fall. And so something amazing is going to happen because God's going to have a victory in this wall. But it says this, and we'll just read it in, in Joshua 2.15. It says that she, she sees this opportunity and she let down a rope through the window. For the house she lived was in part of the city wall. It was in the city wall. In fact, in Joshua 2 verse 9, she said to the spies this, she said, All the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. This woman who was a prostitute, she had a label. She was labeled a sinner, yet is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. She sees an opportunity to help God's people. And she lowers this, this rope down. And do you know what I find interesting is that when she lowers this rope down and she sees this opportunity, she says, the people are faint-hearted because of you. She sees the opportunity. And what she does is this. She realizes the very wall she lives on that's secure and comfortable. She sees an opportunity to rescue them because she knows what's coming. Do you realize if you stick around in your sin on what you think is secure in your life, It's going to fall. That wall fell in just a few chapters later. The very wall that God had positioned her at. And let me tell you, God's positioned you in some places. But it's time to choose God rather than sin. And she chose to put down this rope and take an opportunity to make her move for God. She saw the opportunity. Even in her identity of vulnerability, she sees an opportunity to move for God. It's time today to abandon that comfort of sin. Some of us can live on that wall all our lives, get used to things, comfort. But she stands up for God. She knows that that wall is going to fall. She knows that the people are faint-hearted. Some of you right now need to make a stand for God and leave these things behind. Because I'm telling you, the Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is, means the wall's going to fall. If you stay in that place of comfort, it will fall. 
1 John 3, 8 says this, whoever makes a practice. In other words, it's not accidental or shall I say that there's times when you think I've made a mistake and I wish I'd never done those things. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Wow, that's powerful. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What are you making a practice of? What are you making a practice of? If you make a practice of something, you get good at it. You get good at it. One of the things I've found is when I go to the gym is the more I do something, I get better at it. And you can do, every time you repeat something, repetition allows you to get better at something. The world says this, practice makes perfect. You, if you're not careful, become a perfectly good sinner. Someone who's very, very good at sinning because you've practiced it well. There's a difference when we practice it rather than saying, God, I don't want to do this. Will you help me? And I'm going to take some steps and repent and turn from these wicked ways. Turn to you. That's what repenting is. Turning from our sin. Amen? Number two today is this. We've got to make changes. Make changes. Vital changes. Again, if you want to be a way maker, you've got to not just make moves for God. But you've got to make changes in your life. John Maxwell said this, motivation gets you going. So making a move for God. Motivation gets you going, but discipline keeps you growing. No one likes a message preached on discipline. I mean, if, I, if I was to advertise, I'm going to preach this Sunday on discipline, I don't think anyone to show up. They'll probably have a week off. Can I just remind you, I speak to many leaders all the time and many leaders in churches and, and, and they talk about plans of how they're going to build the churches. And one of the key things that I hear is this, everyone wants to see more discipleship. Do you realize you can't have discipline, d- discipleship without discipline? Discipline comes from discipleship. In other words, discipleship is not just about going around and preaching the good news and healing the sick and seeing signs and wonders flow through you. Discipleship is being closer to Jesus, becoming more like him, training yourself and saying no to the things that are trying to attack you. The things that are trying to bring you down. Discipleship is training yourself. Some of us need to train ourselves in our relationship to God. Some of us don't want true discipleship. We don't understand that, that actually discipleship is essential in our lives. Discipline in our lives. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That is powerful stuff. I mean, I know as a father what it means to discipline my kids. It's tough sometimes, you parents out there, to discipline your children. But what God is trying to say is that sometimes I'm going to tell you off. What? No, God, you're not like that. I come and I should feel good when I'm with you. No, sometimes he's going to tell you off. Sometimes there's going to be a check in your spirit 
as you go through life, that you know the Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't do that. And I don't like that, what you're doing. I don't like those things that you're saying. I don't like those comments on Facebook. I don't like those things. If you want to really be a waymaker, then you've got to get ready for discipline. And some of us, do you know what we do? We want God on Sundays, but through the week, we're just a free we're just a free trooper. We, we go through the week. We'll do and say whatever we like. We don't want the voice of the Holy Spirit telling us what to do, only if it's to see a miracle. Only if it's to see someone get healed. Oh, but we don't want to hear the voice that says, I know you really want to put that comment and that response on Facebook to someone that's hurt you. You want to respond or just put your little pennies within. But I'm telling you now, the discipline comes that you've got to hold back. You've got to stop doing that because that's not good for you. It's just as important, if not more, that we get these things right than listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit to see people get healed. Because if your character ain't any good, you're not going to go far at all. So you need to develop character. How do you develop character? You develop it by saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to tell me off. I give you the authority... To tell me off. To tell me when I'm doing stuff that doesn't sit right with you. I know some of us don't like this type of stuff because we just want to hear the the exciting stuff. But the reality is, if you want to see the exciting stuff, then you've got to get this right. I'm not going to just preach a message on God being a miracle worker and a a way maker. I want you to make a way for him in your life. And if we want to see a move of God in this place, we've got to do this. Get ourselves ready in our hearts for what he wants to do. Discipleship requires discipline. Get that in your spirit. I've got to be disciplined, change things in my life, make changes to allow God to use me. Now you can be on fire for God, but have a fiery character. Did you know that? You can be on fire for Jesus, but have an absolutely stinking character. I've met some people. You know them. You could list them all. The ones who you think, how on earth is God doing that through them? How on earth is that? Is this real? I mean, have you heard what they just said? Have you heard what they just did? Some of us, what we do is we look and we say, you want to have a word with God, don't you? It's like, God, you got it wrong. I mean, if you'd have just chose me, because that person, I've seen what they said about that person. I've seen them gossip. I've seen them put that other person down. But yet, why is it that they could pray for the sick and see them get well? Why? Let me tell you something today. God is not a respecter of persons, for one thing. But listen to me. Some people can be on fire for God, but they have a fire character. It won't take long before they fall. God doesn't take gifts away, you see. So he gives gifts to his children. But if the character can't hold it, it's going to fall. Now the gift doesn't go. If you've got a gift of the prophetic, and you're prophesying, but your character starts to go out of line, the reality is this. It's truth. The gift never went. What happens is, if sin comes in, your confidence goes... So you have more fear to operate in the gift, but the gift never left. What happens is you can't operate with confidence anymore. Because your gift is not being stolen, 
but your confidence is gone. Hebrews chapter 10 says that your confidence is your great reward. So we need confidence to move in the gifts. I want to encourage you today that get your character right so that your character can hold what God is going to do through you this year. Sort some of these things out. Now there's there's, there's a person in the Bible, and and let's just look at this for a moment, because Jesus chooses in Mark chapter 3 verse 16 to 17, he chooses 12 disciples. And I don't know about you, but if I was around at that time, I may want to bring Jesus into a leadership meeting to just give him a bit of advice. Because if I saw the people that he chose, I'd be like, Jesus, before you do this, let's just have a, let's just have a session together, an analytical approach to this to work out the due diligence and the, the issues that might rise up by using these, the probabilities of failure... I mean, I've just done a background report on, on Judas, and you, you want to see this. And so Jesus chooses these 12. They are not perfect people. How many of you know that's encouragement for you today? That if he chose the very people to kick off, to become the greatest waymakers, the start of the New Testament as we see what God is about to do. How many of you know it's good news today that if he chose them, he can choose you? He can choose you. You see, there are two in there, the sons of Zebedee. First he says he chooses Peter. And he says this, he gives him a nickname. So talk about Rahab the prostitute who gets that name. He gives Peter a nickname, Simon. He says, Simon, you're going to be Peter, and Peter means the rock. But then he says to the sons of Zebedee, James and John, he says, you're going to be called the sons of thunder. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for that one. So he gets to be the rock. And we're the ones who've got a bad temper. You see, what we see here is that Jesus, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd love to hang around with Jesus. Because there was a circle of trust going on there. there was, they had banter. They had time together. I don't know, if, you, if you hang around people so long, people start to give people nicknames because they get close to each other. I don't know what my nickname is, Steve. I don't want to know. I'll ask Toya later. But the reality is that some of us, when we hang around people, we get nicknames. Jesus, it's so cool, isn't it? Jesus says this, you know, you're hanging around with me now. I'm going to give you a nickname. Simon, you're Peter. You're the rock. Come on, you're the rock. You're, you're the one who's going to build the church. I want to build it on you. On oh, you too. <laughs> yeah, you're the sons of thunder. What? Yeah, you're the, you know what you two are like sometimes. You know what you can be like, boys. I've seen that temper when it comes out. You're, you're my sons of thunder, but I need you. I need you. You see, the thing is this, Jesus, let me tell you this, Jesus chooses you with issues. He chooses you with issues. If you want a hashtag today, say, I'm chosen with issues. Come on. Everyone loves these hashtags. I'm chosen with issues. I've got issues, but I'm chosen. Watch this. In Luke chapter 9, so this is, this is right at the end of Jesus' ministry. So remember, they get chosen with issues. They get a nickname of their issue. 
And then right at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus decides to use some waymakers. And so this is what happens in John chapter 9. Sorry, in Luke chapter 9. Verse 51, it's going to come up here. As the time approached, watch this, for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead. There's something about Jesus liking to set people ahead of him to make a way for him, to prepare things, to get things ready because he loves to use people who went in the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. He loves to use people. Get that today. Verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, that's the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, these people who got a nickname, they saw this. This is right at the end of Jesus' ministry. They ain't learnt yet, have they? They asked, Lord, I've got a great idea. Hang on. Let's just have a meeting, boys. Come over here, huddle together. We've got a problem. There's people who don't want you to come here. I've got an idea. What is it? What have you learnt in these last few years of being with me? Well, it's a great plan. If we just call down fire and destroy them all. What an idea. Jesus, he doesn't turn around and say, actually, you have the ability and the power to do that because I've given you the gifts. Come on, let's do it. Let's just see this happen. Imagine how amazing that would be. Grand entrance. Everyone's destroyed by fire. Jesus arrives. Whether they like it or not. He turns around and he says he rebukes them. What does this tell you, church? Come on. This tells me one thing. First of all, in Mark 3, 16 to 17, that Jesus chooses people to be waymakers with issues. Even when they still have issues, he still sends them. So he says, come on, go ahead into the, into the village. He's probably thinking, goodness me. <laughs> I hope those sons of thunder keep their mouths closed. But I trust them. Do you know what? Some of us in the body of Christ need to start trusting people and not worrying about what they're like. We're so worried about, we're so, in church, people are so worried about getting everything perfect that we present everyone perfect. But the reality is this, it's not about rejecting, ignoring sin. But actually what we've got to realize is if Jesus did it, then it's good enough for us. Sometimes people are going to say things, do things, and, and, and we're going to be upset by these things. But let me tell you, we're all failures. We all need Jesus. And so he, he, he turns around to them and they're in this little huddle and he says, he says uh, I've got an idea, we can, we can destroy them all by fire. And he turns around and he rebukes them. What does that tell you? It says that they, I believe that wasn't the only time he rebuked them. He would have been rebuking them all the time if that's the end of his ministry. What does that tell you? It says that actually you've got to be open to be used, but open to be rebuked. Disciplined. Disciplined so that God can use you. God chooses you, he uses you, but he wants to change you. Okay? He will choose you, he will use you, but he wants to change you as well. I've put here that a godly gift or position is not always an indication of godly submission. If you see someone operating in a gift from God, it doesn't mean they're submitted. Now, interestingly, and I'm moving on in just a moment, but interestingly, we all can kind of accept that Jesus or God 
can discipline us. Okay, God, you're the creator, but none of us find it very easy to let leaders discipline us. None of us want discipline in the church. We want a free reign. Only God judges me. Only God deals with me. And, and, and do you know what? In, 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 in the book of Titus, Paul encourages Titus, who's dealing with the churches at Crete, he encourages them that he says you need to use your authority to rebuke, to discipline. He says this, encourage, chapter 2, verse 15, encourage and rebuke with all authority. In other words, Paul's saying this, you've got to encourage people, but rebuke them as well. With all authority. Then he says, don't let anyone despise you. I'm I'm amazed sometimes at the people I meet who do not want to uh, come under leadership. People, it's like God's the only one who can can judge. Look, leaders are not perfect people, but God has assigned leaders for the task. And sometimes they're going to get it wrong. But if they do, you've got to have a heart that says, I'm open to be rebuked. I'm open to be changed. I'm open to be changed and not just by me praying in the prayer closet and waiting for Jesus to tell me, but for someone to actually tell me. So sometimes you've got to be ready for God to speak to you through others. Sometimes you've got to be just like those ones who are fiery and hot characters, just like them who say, I've got an idea, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. And and then Jesus turns around and says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Some of us have got to be ready for people, leaders, people around you who speak into your life to stop you from doing something that's going to take you down the wrong path. See, James and John, they were eager for positions. (laughs) They'd already said to Jesus, come on, I, I, I want... The mother had gone and said, they want the best seat when you get into that place of being king. They want the best seat to sit by you. Jesus turns around and says, do you understand what that means? Do you understand? Do you really understand the cup of suffering? Can you take the cup of suffering for this? And some of us don't understand sometimes. We don't understand what it means. There's some little things in our lives and discipline. Let me just, I want to just continue on this just to encourage you that you've got to deal with the little things that's hidden. Because if you don't, you're going to fall in 2019. You're going to get worse. You've got to listen to this. It's, it's so essential to your life. Discipline. Do you know what? I, I, if someone speaks into my life and someone came up to me and says, I don't really like that, what you said, I'm not going to get angry with them. I might not listen to them. <laughs> no. I listen to people. And if they say something, sometimes, do you know, have you ever noticed this? You get angry at first. Then what happens is you go away. And if you're a godly person, you go away and pray about it. Say, God, if that's real, will you reveal that to me? If that's really my problem, reveal it. And I'll tell you, God will. And then you've got to go to that person and say, do you know what? Thanks for telling me that. Thanks for telling me I've got issues. It's, it's essential. This is what the body of Christ is about. It's not about going around telling everyone the problems. But just saying, you know, I, I'm not really sure about that, what you said. That word you use. I mean, some people sometimes, I, I find this a lot, even people in the, in the body of Christ, I didn't mean to say this, but people who use all manner of words, and I, I think, well, that to me is swearing. I wouldn't use that word. 
And, and sometimes my kids come to me and they've been in different churches and they've said this to me. They said, Dad, we went to that church and we heard someone say that word that you say you shouldn't say. I'm like, this is getting confusing. <laughs> Do you know what I said to him? I said, that may be not right for them. It may, be, it may be okay for them. It's not right for me. But my advice is this to you. Every time I tell you not to say anything, don't say anything. Just don't say it. You don't need to use these words. And so some of us, we've, you know, we've got d- different problems with regions and countries. But I want to encourage you, protect your mouth. Just watch what you're saying. The little things, they can take you down. You know, years ago, I used to, when I used to work in, in the job I was in, making graphics and banners, one of the jobs I got one day was this, to make this huge 10-meter-high banner to fit on the front of a building. In fact, two of them. And I worked with a company in London to make sure we got one of the best manufacturers to fit these banners up. So they gave me a, a big budget to get these huge graphic banners with two pictures of people on advertising a product. And I'll never forget doing this and, and with pride and joy taking a photograph at the end of the day when these two banners were put up by this, this company. And then I went on holiday. It was the day I had it fitted up. I went on holiday. Halfway through the holiday, I get a phone call from the health and safety team at the, the job where I worked. They said, we've got a problem. I said, what's up? He said, the banner's falling off the front of the building. I mean, these things were huge. Straight away, I thought, it's my fault. That's the first thing you think. And so when I got back, I looked at it, and they, they dismantled the whole of this, this banner and looked. And all it was is one screw, one bolt that had not been fitted in properly. And the wind had made it rattle and loose and come off. And I realized something that day. Something that looked so grand, so great on the outside of the building. Just one bolt ripped it down. People say this, that a chain's only ever, is ever as strong as its weakest link. And so for you and me right now, don't trust in what you look like on the outside. Say, God, is there any loose bolts here? <laughs> is there any loose stuff going on in my life that it may look good to people, but if, it, if, if the wind keeps shaking me, if things keep shaking my life, all of a sudden what people thought looked good is actually going to be ripped off. You say, God, discipline me. Discipline me. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 12 says, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And finally, we don't just make our move or make changes, but we need to make our peace. Make our peace. Have you noticed that Hebrews chapter 12 says a lot of things about you making things happen? Not God. You. You make every effort, it says, to live in peace. Not ask God to give you peace. Yes, he gives peace. But you, through his peace, make every effort to live in peace with people. He says this, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. How many of you want peace? You know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like confrontation. I don't like issues. But it says make every effort. Do you know what? As the body of Christ in the unity of what God's doing at the moment, the, the very thing that, that God pours his blessing out upon is unity. 
unity. And do you know what? Many of us can look on the outside like, like we're together, but we're not. And what happens is you operate in false peace. You operate in false peace. If we're not careful, bitter roots grow up. And when bitter roots grow up, it affects our relationship with each other. And it affects our relationship with God. Let me tell you, there's only one person going to fail in all this, and it's us. God wants us to be right with each other and to love each other. Now, that's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to love the person who's hurt you, to love the person who's done something wrong to you. But I want to encourage you today. You've got to make every effort to live in peace. You've got to make every effort to live in peace. You know, the other night I was laid in bed and I was sleeping peacefully. And at three o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, an alarm goes off. So I jump out of bed. And I ran to the front of the window and I looked out and I, and I couldn't tell where the alarm was going off. Then all of a sudden the kids start shouting to me, Dad, what's that noise? I'm saying, I don't know. Then I realized it was in our house. The alarm system that I've not used for years was now going off supernaturally. I mean, what? I never turned the thing on. And so why, I'm there in bed, I'm running around, the kids are saying, Dad, what's going on? I'm looking online at three in the morning and I'm trying to work out how do I turn this thing off. The problem is I went to turn the light and there's no power in the house. The power had gone down. So there's no power in the house, so I'm, how on earth is this thing running? Then I realized as I searched online, it said that if your battery's failed, then it will go into an override and it will use another little battery for the siren. And so you can't stop it. Until the power comes back on. And so I'm running around the house. The kids are shouting at me saying, Dad, when are you going to stop this thing? And, and, and peace was not in the house. Let me tell you. It was carnage. Till eventually, all of a sudden, I'm running around. I'm looking on Google, trying to find the answers. Typing in the product. And I'm trying to do this in the dark. Trying to work out what the problem is. How do I shut this thing off? The neighbors next door are listening to this. And as I'm doing this, all of a sudden, the lights came on and the power came back on. And it allowed me to go to the box and to put in the number and to stop the alarm going off. Thankfully, I remember the number. And so I put in the number and I realized something that day. That for us, sometimes we can have a false peace. We think everything's okay. We think that we've got everything sorted out with people. We think we're okay with people. But listen, what God does sometimes, if he lifts that grace off you, it will reveal the problem. I realize I got a dead battery. I realize I got a problem. I got something that needed attention. And so now it's my job. When the power came back on, the problem went, but the problem's still there, church. Do you understand? you understand? So the grace of God can sometimes be upon you. You can function in ministry. You can do great things for God. And people think, how on earth is that person doing that when they've got a problem with that other person? But sometimes God will lift his grace just for a moment, just so that you can see the problem. Then he'll release the power back on to allow you to function again. But listen, if you do not change the battery, the problem's still there. 
And some of us right now, what's happening is this, is God's grace is on some of you and you're thinking to yourself, God is using me, I'm doing amazing things for God, but actually the reality is this, that God is just gracefully at the moment allowing you to do that. But if he lifts his grace, it will reveal the dead battery. Some of you need to change your battery and sort these things out. He says this, Hebrews 12, 14, if the, if the worship team could come by, that'd be great. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be holy before him. Get some of these things right in my life. Get some of these things changed in my life. So that I can allow God to flow through me better. His spirit to flow through me. Come on, let's just stand. If we want to be effective way makers, we've got to make some changes, make peace with people. God doesn't do this. You do it. Make every effort to live in peace. Make every effort, not make every effort to pray that God will bring peace and show that person what they did wrong. No, it's time for you to make every effort to bring peace. Make every effort. Colossians 3, verse 13, it says this, Bear, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Hallelujah. I put here that bitterness will always make a way into the wilderness. But forgiveness will always make a way into fruitfulness. It's true. If you have bitterness in your heart, it's going to lead you into a place of wilderness eventually. But you get rid of these things. Forgiveness, you apply forgiveness. Forgive people for what they've done. You won't let bitterness get in your heart. Listen to me, it's damaging stuff. It's toxic. Get rid of it all. No matter what anyone's done to you, no matter what someone's hurt you, they've upset you, they've rejected you, no matter what they've done, listen to me. Get rid of it. Make peace with people. Because peace, when you, when you make a way for this, God is going to give you the ability to see him in all his splendor, his glory. Come on, let's just raise our hands just for a moment. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.